الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger <clears throat> this evening bi'ithnillahi ta'ala in this lecture number 44 from the sharh or explanation of kitab al-tawheed alladhi huwa haqqullah ala al-abid by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najdi rahimahullah who discuss the chapter entitled Bab Qawlu Allahumma ghfirli in shi'ta Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah has entitled the chapter with a saying that someone might say innocently supplicating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for their needs and in this case the most important of what one might need that is al-maghfirah the forgiveness of Allah or al-rahmah Allah's mercy and those things related to seeking the more permanent and eternal blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is that which will benefit us not only in this world but in the next that which is related to al-jannah the paradise Allah's mercy, His forgiveness, and His bounty. And in those things that the goodness of them and the benefit of them is certain. There is no doubt about what is the end of such a supplication that whoever achieves it, they indeed have achieved that which is good. The Shaykh Abdul Aziz ibn Abdullah ibn Baz, Rahimahullah, Rahmatan Wasia, and his book, Ta'aliq, Ta'aliq al Mufid the beneficial comments on Kitab al-Tawheed. Briefly, he mentioned in the introduction to this chapter that the author, that is, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, intended uh, in this chapter to clarify that from the perfection or the completeness of al-Iman and al-Tawheed is al-Azm. Yani that it is from the perfection of Tawheed and the perfection of Iman that when one supplicates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-masala here it means a su'al or asking Allah for one's needs that one should supplicate with a determined supplication being certain that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable and able to fulfill whatever we are in need of, that he is capable to answer and to fulfill our needs and that one should not be mutaraddid, yani indecisive, 
but we should act with a resolved, determined supplication, asking Allah for our needs, knowing that He is capable and able to fulfill. Yani this is from the perfection of Iman and the perfection of Tawheed, that when we ask Allah, we ask Him, being resolved that He is the one who is capable to fulfill our needs and that He is able to do so. And that the believer, he said, that the believer, if he supplicates his Lord, that he should supplicate with resolution and determination and certainty and not be indecisive. For indeed, the graciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is supreme. It is azim. It is all comprehensive. There's no end to it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-ghani al-hamid. He is the one who is free of needs, the one who is rich, who has everything. And he is also praiseworthy. Yani, that which he has, he is praised because of it. He is praiseworthy and also he is praised because of his wealth, his riches, his ownership of everything and that he gives it freely to his servants. And then he said, it is not appropriate, fitting or suitable for the believer that he should make exception. Al-istisna in his asking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meaning here that he should not ask Allah for something on the condition al-istithna here means here actually it means a shart making a condition that Allah give me this or give me that forgive me or have mercy on me if you will he should not make, a such, make such a condition it is not fitting of the believer that when he asks Allah he should use such an expression make a condition that give me what I ask if you will Yani as though, if you don't will, then I am not really that much in need of it. Only if you will. Uh, he said, but in fact, such a condition or such a statement, when asking for something, saying to the one whom you are asking, give it to me if you will, this is what should be done with the creatures, al-makhluq. Because the created being in some cases, might be incapable to fulfill your need. And therefore, not fulfill it. As for Ar-Rabb, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is Al-Ghani Al-Qadir, the one who is rich and free of need, and He is able and capable to do whatever He wills. In this chapter, which is very brief, but also it is very important, and it follows those chapters which we have discussed previously which emphasize the importance of paying attention to the expressions that we use in our speech because those expressions they are a reflection of how we think and how we believe and when we supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the words that we use in that supplication it will either be a confirmation of the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His greatness and His glory and His perfection, a confirmation of His rububiyyah, His Lordship, that He is the owner and controller of everything, and His ubudiyah, that He is the only one that deserves to be worshipped or called upon or asked or depended upon, and His asma wa sifat, that He is the one who is entitled to be described by the perfect names and perfect characteristics. It will either be a confirmation of this Tawheed or it will be a negation of it. Either total negation or partial negation. And it would be a negation of the perfection of Tawheed 
what may be outright negation, depending on the expression that we use. And we have discussed a number of expressions in previous chapters. And here, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has discussed this point under the supplication of one who calls on Allah for their needs and then makes a condition that he fulfill it only if he wills. And this idea uh, that is contained in this expression, it is a negation of the perfection of Tawheed, at least, if not more than that, even though one might not be conscious or aware of it. Bab qawlu Allahumma ghfirli in shi'ta Yani the saying or one saying, O oh Allah, forgive me, if you will. He mentions, Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah mentions, is sahih, yani, in the authentic hadith here, this hadith, it is recorded by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim. He said, Fis sahih, an Abi Hurayrata radiyallahu anhu, from Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, la yaqul, Ahadukum, Allahumma ghfirli in shi'ta. That no one of you should say, La yaqul. It is la nahiya, means that it is prohibited. La yaqul. The fact that the verb here, yaqulu, is majzum. It is ending with tanween, majzum. means that this la is la nahiya, the prohi- prohibition, which means that it is prohibited, it is forbidden. La yaqul ahadukum. No one of you should say, Allahumma ghfirli in shi'ta. Oh Allah, forgive me, if you will. Allahumma arhamni in shi'ta. Oh Allah, have mercy on me, if you will. But instead, the Prophet said, instead of these expressions, which are a negation of the perfection of Tawheed, then he told the people not to say it, and he also told them what they should say and why they should say it. He said, لِيَعْزِمْ الْمَسْأَلَةِ Yani, that one should ask for their needs, with determination. Yani being determined to have their needs fulfilled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with certainty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable and able to fulfill their needs. Liya'zim al mas'ala al su'al. Yani that a person should ask for their need with certainty and determination. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا مُكْرِهَا لَهُ Why should we ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with certainty? And not making conditions that he should only give it to us if he wills. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا مُكْرِهَ لَهُ Because indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no one that can force him or compel him to do anything. لَا مُكْرِهَ لَهُ No one can force him to do something against his will. No one can compel him to do that which he doesn't will. So no need to say, if you will. He will do whatever he wills in any case. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا مُكْرِيَ لَهُ In the narration of Al-Imam Muslim rahimahullah, and there are various narrations here, Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has mentioned this narration, وَالْيُعْظِمْ And in some of the texts of Kitab al-Tawheed, it has been recorded, وَالْيُعَظِمْ And the meaning, يُعْظِمْ and يُعَظِمْ The meaning is the same, or close to being the same. وَالْيُعَظِمْ but a person should ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with urgency and persistence and insistence. They should consider their ragba, the thing that they are in need of, that they are asking for, as something urgent. 
as something important. They should ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with urgency, being insistent and persistent. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَتَعَاظَمُهُ شَيْءٌ أَعْطَاهُ Because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَا يَتَعَاظَمُهُ شَيْءٌ أَعْطَاهُ يعني There is nothing that is considered as, as عظيم with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if He wants to give it. When Allah wants to give something, no matter what you ask, great or small, there is nothing that is considered عظيم with Allah. لا يتعظمه شيء أعطاه إذا أراد أن يعطي شيء if Allah wants to give something, He doesn't consider it as something so great or something so difficult. Such, such to the extent that He might not give it. But everything is easy for Allah. And everything is insignificant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though the thing that we ask for to ourselves, it may be عظيم. We may think it is something so great. But we should never imagine that it is great to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is easy for Him. Therefore, we should ask whatever we will, no matter how great or small. And do not imagine that something is so great that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might not give it. Therefore, we don't have to say to Allah, give it to me such and such and so and so if you will. Because even if it is great and tremendous to us, it is easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another narration of this hadith, as reported by Imam Muslim, which is not mentioned here by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, it is reported that the Prophet وسلم, said, the beginning of the hadith being the same, he said, لِيَعْزِمْ فِي الدُّعَى That one should ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with determination and certainty when he supplicates فِي الدُّعَى فَإِنَّهُ اللَّهِ صَانِعُ because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who does whatever He wills. And there is no one that can force Him or compel Him to do anything. So we should ask Allah with determination and certainty. And we should not have any, any indecisiveness about what we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nor should we fear that it is too great for Him or that something is difficult for Him. Or nor should we imagine that we are not in need that we are not totally in need of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for us. Al-Raqba, <clears throat> it means Al-Haja, your, your desire or your needs. Liyu'zam Al-Raqba, it means that a person should ask for their needs, that which they desire, they should ask for it, yani with urgency as though it is something important to them, not as though it is unimportant. Don't say, oh Allah forgive me if you will. It's not that important. If you don't will, don't give it to me. But you should ask for it as though it is something important, with urgency, insistence, and persistence. Ask, as in some of the hadith the Prophet said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers the supplication except the one who is in a hurry, and he gives up. He asks Allah a few times and Allah doesn't answer. Then he says, I asked Allah, but he didn't answer. But we should continually ask. We should be insistent and persistent and ask Him with urgency. For indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever we ask of Him, is not anything difficult for Him or great to Him. The meaning of the expression, لِيُعَظِّمْ لِيُعَظِّمْ يعني لِيُعَظِّمْ أَعْظَمَ أَوْ يُعَظِّمُ It means to consider something as being very great or tremendous. 
Yani we should consider that what we are asking for, it is something important. So we should ask Allah urgently for it. Huh? The Azim, is it clear? It means, yani Ta'zim means to consider something great, to extol or to exalt something. But here it means in reference to your Raghba, your own desires or your Haja, your needs, that you consider it as great and therefore you go after it. You pursue it from the one who is capable to give it to you. Li'azim, Raghbata, Ar-Raghba, it means that a person should consider what they are asking for as very important. And they should seek it, yani, as though it is important, with urgency, yani, as though they are in need of it, as though it is urgent, I really need it. Don't say to Allah, give it to me if you will, but say, Allah, please give it to me, give it to me, I am in need, I am in total need of what you have for me. The Shaykh Al-Qara'awi, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, he says, concerning the general meaning of this hadith, he said, since every one of us, every human being, is muftaqiran ila Allah azza wa jalla, is in total need, is faqir ila Allah, every one of us is in total need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is the one who is without need, who is free of need, who is rich, and he is the one who is praised, al-hamid, for this reason, if we consider that we are in need, and Allah is without need, and He is the one who has everything, then the Prophet ﷺ prohibited the one who wants to supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He should make as a condition for that which He is requesting, that He should make the condition the Mashiach of Allah. Yani, that He will say, I ask whatever I ask of you, Allah, if you will. Since we are in need, then we shouldn't say, if you will. But we should ask Allah as though we are really in need. And that, yani this display of one's total yani need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what is expected of the abd, the true slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who knows that he is in need of his Lord. So the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that one should ask for their needs with the condition that they be fulfilled if it is Allah's will. Because such an, the use of such an expression, it gives the sense that, and here in the translation of the Sharh, uh, the translation, it has been translated on this point uh, yani with a meaning that is completely contrary to the correct meaning. So please, if you have a, con- a, a copy of the Sharh of Kitab Tawheed, uh, make sure you pay attention to the explanation of this uh, hadith because it has been translated with the meaning opposite of what is intended here. And yani he has translated in such a way as to say that Allah doesn't give that much importance to the need of the, of the slaves when they call on him. But in fact, the author has said, ذَلِكَ يُشْعِرْ بِعَدَمَ الْإِحْتِمَامِ بِالطَّلَبِ yani this, the one who says, give to me if you will, this, it, it gives the feeling that the person who is asking is not giving that much care or attention to what they are seeking from Allah. That it's not that important to them. Not that Allah doesn't give importance to what we ask. But the one who says, inshallah, it's as though it's not important to him. It's not so important. He is saying, just give it to me if you will. And this feeling of the absence or the lack of concern for what the slave is asking for from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a negation of the state of need that the slave is in of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That state of being in need, which is the spirit of the ibadah of dua. Yani the spirit or the essence of this act of ibadah, dua, the essence of it 
is that the person who is supplicating to Allah feels that they are in total need of what they are asking from the one who they are asking. So whoever gives the feeling that they are not totally in need of what they are asking for, this is a negation of the spirit of a dua and likewise also it is prohibited because a takhir la yaliku billahi azza wa jalla yani giving Allah a choice in a matter it is not fitting it is not fitting that anyone should ask Allah in giving, giving him a choice I give you a choice either do this or that it is not fitting that anyone should address Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving him a choice since there is no one who can force him no one who can force him or compel him to the extent that they may give him a choice we give, I am giving you a choice as though somebody can force him to do something against his will then the Prophet ordered the one who is supplicating that he make his supplication with urgency and that he is insistent in what he asks for and that he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatever he wants of good of al-khair asks Allah for whatever he wants of good whether it is something great or something small but asks whatever you like for indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't find anything difficult when he wants to give it to his slave there's nothing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finds difficult if he wants to give it to his slave and there's nothing uh, that is too difficult or great of the needs of the one who asks Allah yani whatever are our needs none of it is too great for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for indeed he is the one who owns and controls this world and the next he is Malik at dunya wal akhirah he is the one who owns everything in this world and in the next life whatever we ask for in this world or whatever we ask for in the next life Allah is the one who controls it he is the one who has control over everything absolute control over everything in both worlds and he is the one who has power over everything and perhaps a reflection on what has been said in this hadith and the explanation of it reminds us of the importance of making dua and of the spirit that one should have when they supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the spirit or expressing one's absolute total need for what he has for us and recognizing and acknowledging that he is the one who has everything and is capable to give us whatever we ask for the shaykh says that from this hadith there are five benefits or he has mentioned five the first of them is the prohibition of ta'aliq al-du'a bil-mashia yani it is prohibited to make as a condition in one's du'a that it be given to you if it is his will yani connecting one's supplication to the mashia of Allah if it is his will this is prohibited and the reason why it is prohibited as some of the scholars have mentioned other scholars have mentioned is because the dua it is the worship of Allah it is a form of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is not complete it is not complete nor is it perfect except that the person acts with determined resolution except that ibadah is not really perfect ibadah unless when you ask Allah for your need you ask him with perfect complete determination and resolution and there should, no be, there should not be any indecisiveness 
in one's request. The second point that the Shaykh mentions is that it is legislated to make dua and that the benefit of a dua is confirmed. Yani, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is capable of fulfilling our needs and able, then indeed the one who supplicates to him will benefit. Yani, nothing whatever we ask is too great or difficult for him. Number three, the confirmation of perfection for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If that al-kamal, that perfection, it is for Allah and Allah alone. And that is understood from some of the expressions in this hadith, from amongst those expressions, is la mukriya lahu. Yani, that there is no one who, compel him, who can compel him or force him, and that there is nothing that is too great if he wants to give it to his servant. This shows the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number four, ta'zim al-raqbah. Yani, that a person should express their need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with urgency and insistence no matter what they are asking for because this is husn al-dhan billah yani asking Allah with urgency and expressing one's total need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is an expression of one's good view of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you expect only good from Him and you only think that good will come to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore you ask whatever you are in need of no matter how great or small it may be and number five he said Tanzih Allah amma yuhim annaqa'if yani it means declaring Allah to be free from whatever might suggest that there is any imperfection or shortcoming. And it is expected that the believer should declare Allah's freedom from anything that even suggests imperfection. And here he is referring to the expression insha'Allah, that one supplicates to Allah and then saying insha'Allah because this expression, it has the connotation or the idea it has a number of ideas that are rejected or that are negations of the perfection of Tawheed and from amongst them is the idea that you ask Allah for something and say inshallah because perhaps it might be too difficult for him or it might be too great and he might not want to give it to you but Allah gives freely to his servants of that which they ask for of good uh, and also because when the believer supplicates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and connects or makes as a condition for their supplication that he give it to them if he wills it is also a suggestion that the slave of Allah is not totally in need of what he is asking Allah for and that is also a negation of the perfection of Tawheed of the Tawheed of Rububiyyah that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who has all of our needs and he is the only one that we can ask for it and, and we when we ask we should ask yani, as though we are totally in need of him the relationship of this hadith to the chapter under discussion is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of making as a condition for one's supplication the will of Allah. Yani, that I ask you if it is your will, if you will, give it to me. This is prohibited. And the relationship of this hadith to the general topic of a tawheed is that this hadith, while it indicates the prohibition of making as a condition for one's supplication that he give it to you only if he wills, uh, then this suggest the lack of one's need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is a negation of at-tawheed it also is 
improper adab with Allah. It is improper yani behavior when one supplicates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, giving him the choice, give it to me if you will. This is so adab with Allah. Uh, the Masail that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned with this chapter and the brief explanation of those Masail from Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen there are five issues that he has mentioned that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned and there's some brief commentary by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen the first of them is the prohibition of making an exception in one's or making a condition in one's dua. The Shaykh says here that al-istithna, which is normally understood to mean an exception, that it really means a shart, it means a condition. And is a prohibition of making a condition when one supplicates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second point is clarification of the reason for this prohibition. The illah, the reason for this prohibition. And here, Shaykh Muhammad, ibn, uh, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih, Al-Uthaymeen rahimahullah says that there are three reasons why this is prohibited. The first of them is because making such a condition, give it to me if you will, gives the feeling that there is someone who can compel Allah to do something if he doesn't will. And that is absolutely not so. There is no one who compel him, who can compel him so that one would say, give it to me if you will. As though if he didn't will, somebody can force him. The second point is that such an expression also gives the feeling that the matter which one is requesting from Allah, it might be too great for him. It might be something that is difficult for him and he might be incapable of giving it. Therefore, we make it easy for him by saying, give it to me if you will. And if it's not too difficult for you. And this is also indeed contrary to the reality because nothing is difficult for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the one who does whatever he wills. And the third reason uh, why it is prohibited to ask in such a way by saying if you will is because it's also and in such an expression it gives the feeling that one is without need that the human being is without need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is not suitable or appropriate and it is not proper adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the proper adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that his slave should submit himself to him and humble himself to him and act for his needs showing his total need and lack of independence from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third issue is the saying, his saying in this hadith, لِيَعْزَمْ الْمَسْأَلَةِ That a person should act for their needs with determination and with certainty. لِيَعْزَمْ uh, الْمَسْأَلَةِ Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Salih Uthaymeen says, it means that when one asks Allah, they should ask, they should ask with determination and they should not be indecisive about what they are asking. The fourth issue, I'azam al-Raqbah. al-Raqbah. This is taken from the statement in the hadith, Wali yu'azim al-Raqbah. He said, I'azam al-Raqbah, in the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it means that one should ask Allah whatever 
comes to his mind. Whatever comes to your mind to ask, don't hesitate, but ask whatever you will. Because there is nothing that is difficult for Allah or that He is incapable of giving, that He can be restrained or restrained from giving. The fifth issue is التعليم لهذا الأمر التعليل يعني the explanation or the reason the illa or the cause uh, for why he has said so and the reason why he has said that we should ask Allah in such a way is because as he said in the, uh, in the end of in the other part of the hadith because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is nothing that is too great or that is difficult that he considers any too great to give if he wants to give it to his servant and in the other statement of the hadith that there is no one who can compel or force Allah to do that which is against his will therefore one should ask whatever comes to one mind whatever it is, whether it is great or small and here the Shaykh says from this point we understand the excellence of the manner of the Prophet ﷺ in teaching because whenever he mentions something he always joins with it the reason or the cause for that statement, yani that's ruling, what is the cause for that prohibition or that commandment he said in the mention, mentioning of the illa, of the hukum, the reason for the ruling there's benefits, many benefits and from amongst them in brief one of them is that it shows or it clarifies the uh, exalted nature or the excellence of this sharia, the divine law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, because there is no ruling except that there is also an, a cause or a reason or a hikmah or wisdom for that ruling. Number two, it increases the person's sense of tranquility and satisfaction when they understand the reason for the ruling then the person is at rest with that ruling when they can understand it. And there are many examples of the Prophet ﷺ doing so. And the third uh, reason he said that if that matter or that hukum, uh, if the matter is related to a hukum or a ruling from the ahkam of the deen, then the third benefit of mentioning the illa or the cause or the reason is that the person may make qiyas. They may make qiyas or analogy with another matter which has not been clearly mentioned in the sharia, which shares the same reason, which shares the same illa or the prohibition or the commandment. And if we know that it has been prohibited for a reason, then anything else that contains that same reason, we will know that that is also prohibited. And if it is commanded for a certain reason, we will also know that other such things which are similar to it, and he will share in that uh, command. The next chapter, uh, or the questions, maybe, yeah, we should look at the questions quickly. What is the meaning of the words, لِيَعْظِمْ الْمَسْأَلَةِ لِيَعْزِمْ al-mas'ala It means that a person should ask for whatever they ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with determination, resolve and certainty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable and able to answer. What is understood from the words لَا مُقْرِهَ لَهُ The meaning of the words لَا مُقْرِهَ لَهُ is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is no one that can compel him or force him to do anything. Therefore, there is no need to say inshaAllah because Allah, He will do whatever He wills anyway. The third question, what is the meaning of the words? لِيُعَظِّمْ الرَّغْبَةِ 
The meaning of these words is that when the person supplicates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they should consider uh, that what they are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, it is something important to them. Therefore, they should ask Allah, يعني, they should ask Allah with uh, persistence and insistence and which with urgency as though the thing that they are asking for, they are really in need of it. Uh, what is understood from the words لا يتعظمه شيء أعطاه It means that there is nothing if Allah wants to give it to his servant that is great to him, that is considered too big to him. But it is everything that you may ask if Allah wants to give it to you, it is easy for him. What is, why is it prohibited to connect one's supplication to the Mashiach, to the will of Allah? that is asking Allah for something, saying, Allah forgive me if you will, it is prohibited to do so because of a number of reasons from amongst them is that it gives the feeling that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might not be capable of doing it. It may be too difficult for him. So you say, do it if you will. Or it also gives the feeling that the one who is asking is not that much in need of it. If you say, give me something, if you will. If you don't will, no problem. It is the same to me. So you are not really in need. When the slave of Allah, every one of the slaves of Allah is in need of him. Uh, and the third one, the third reason is because it also gives the sense that uh, something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers something that his slave may ask him for as so great that he might be hesitant to give it. Because it is so great and so important. Even though he is capable to give it, but it might be too much to give to his slave while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't consider anything as too great to give, if he wants to give it to his slave. If he gives as much as we ask, then that which he possesses will remain yani untouched, as though he hasn't given anything, because Allah is the one who controls everything in the heavens and the earth, in this world and in the next. I explain the relationship of this chapter to the general topic of a tawheed. It is that such expressions, when supplicating Allah, yani making as a condition that we are asking him for something, if he wills, such an expression, it is a negation of the perfection of a tawheed. Because the perfection of a tawheed requires that the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should feel that he is totally in need of whatever he asks ask for. And therefore, he will never yani, make such an expression that suggests he is not in need. So it is a negation of the perfection of a tawheed, especially a tawheed al-rububiyyah, because Allah is the one who possesses everything and we are in need of that which he possesses. Number seven, mention one benefit from this hadith related to the Prophet ﷺ's manner of teaching others. It is that when he used to teach the people, he used to join the commandment or the prohibition by also explaining the reason for that commandment or prohibition. And we should likewise, when we explained to the people, whether Muslims or non-Muslims, that something is prohibited in Islam, or it is obligatory in Islam, we should also explain the reasoning behind it so that people will feel satisfaction and comfort and relax and be relaxed uh, with that prohibition or that commandment when they understand the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in commanding it or prohibiting it as long as we know what is the wisdom behind it. And as long as it has been explained in the Quran or in the Sunnah, what can be understood from that which has come in the Quran and Sunnah. The next chapter, uh, which is also a brief chapter, 
In the remaining time, we will try to cover it. It is entitled Babun La Yaqulu Abdi Wa Amati. Yani the chapter entitled La Yaqulu, but one should not say Abdi Wa Amati. And you should not refer to another person as your slave. Abdi, my slave, male slave, or amati, female slave. And that is, and the, this is the chapter heading, and the reason for this, or perhaps any one of the reasons, one of the clearest reasons why one should not say so, is because in such an expression uh, there is tashriq. In the wording, in such a wording, there is tashriq, or sharing. Uh, between the creator and the creation this expression which belongs to Allah alone if somebody says Abdi then the only one who has the right to say Abdi is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because everyone and everything is his slave so it has it gives the suggestion that there is some sharing in the use of this expression by any human being in referring to another human being as his slave then it gives the suggestion in that expression that there is some sharing between Al-Khaliq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Al-Makhluq, the creatures the one who possess someone under their care or their custody or in slavery this hadith which the Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions here is muttafakun alayh, reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim uh, and he says يعني in the authentic hadith in this case, it is reported by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim, while the exact wording is from Al-Bukhari, rahimahullah. It's Sahih, and Abi Hurairah, radiyallahu anhu, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, قال, لا يقول أحدكم أتعم ربك ووضع ربك. يعني Abu Hurairah, radiyallahu anhu, he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا يقول, يعني this is also a prohibition, لا يقول, no one should say, لا يقول أحدكم أَطْعِمْ ربك Feed your Lord. No one should say to the one who is under his care or his custody, he shouldn't refer to that person saying, Feed your Lord. Referring to himself, I am your Lord, your master. Or it might mean that someone says to a slave, yani someone who is in slavery, they say to that slave, Feed your master, meaning his slave master. No one should say such a thing. أَطْعِمْ ربك Feed your Lord. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Rabb. وَوَضِّئْ رَبِّكْ رَبَّكْ Nor should somebody say, يعني help your Rabb to perform ablution, wudu. وَلْيَقُلْ سَيِّدِي وَمَوْلَايَ But what is obligatory? وَلْيَقُلْ لَامَ الْأَمْرِ It means it is command. Then you are commanded to say, سَيِّدِي وَمَوْلَايَ But what you should say? You should say, my master or my guardian. Sayyid is an expression from Sayyada, and Sayyada means a high status or a high position, or the one who is the leader of the people or the head of the people is the Sayyid. Sayyid al Qawm is the leader of the people, the head of them, the chief or something like this. So the Prophet said, You should say Sayyidi or Mawlaya. Mawla, it is from Wilaya, the one who has custody or care of the affairs of the people. And it is also in reference to 
يعني the one who is in charge of anyone's affairs may be called his mawla mawla so one should say instead of rabbi or refer to someone as someone's rabb they should say sayyid or mawla yani one's master or one's patron or guardian the one who is in, in, in responsible for their affairs then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said yani that one is addressed to yani the slave he should not refer to his master as his rabb but allah is the rabb and here the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam addressed the master that he should not refer to the one under his custody or his care as his abd he said wala yaqul it is also la la nahiya a prohibition la yaqul ahadukum abdi wa amati no one should say to the one under his custody my slave male slave or my female slave abdi aw amati and the slave should not refer to his master as his rabb and the master should not refer to his slave as his abd because of rububiyah and al-ubudiyah it is the right of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone whoever does so then in these expressions there is a negation of the perfection of tawhid tawhid al-rububiyah and tawhid al-uluhiyah in the expression but the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam explained what should be said the expression that should be used that is permissible wal yaqul fataya aw fatati aw gulami fataya my young man or fatati my young lady or gulami my boy and these expressions are allowed lam al amr is also used here however actually the meaning of lam al amr here as some of the scholars of usul said that after a prohibition a command it may mean permissibility something that was prohibited after something is prohibited if there is a command to do something it means that it may mean that it is permissible and here it means that it's permissible what is permissible to say is fataya or fatati or gulami and not to say abdi or amati the sheikh says in the explanation of this hadith that when we know that ar-rububiyah lordship and al-ubudiyah slavery that these expressions are indications of a ta'zim to use the expression rabb and abd it means it is an expression of ta'zim the one who calls somebody his abd it means it is as though he is glorifying himself extolling himself or someone is extolling him and the same thing a rabb whoever is referred to by such an expression it is an expression of glorification or exaltation and these expressions are not appropriate or suitable for anyone except Allah azza wa jalla for that reason the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam prohibited the master who possessed slaves from being named or called rabb the lord a lord and he prohibited the mamluk the slave the abd he prohibited that one from be- being called abd he prohibited these expressions from being used rabb should not be used for the master no abd should be used for the one who is 
possessed because it suggests that somebody is sharing in these characteristics al-rububiyyah and al-ubudiyyah they are sharing with al-bari that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the creator in that which he alone has the right to of al-asma wa sifat al-wajiba lahu duna ghayrihi yani those names and those characteristics which are obligatory for him to be used in reference to him to the exclusion of anyone other than him and the Arab, it should be used in reference to Allah alone and anyone and no one should be referred to as Al-Abd except as the Abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then the Prophet وسلم, instructed and guided us to the use of expressions which do not contain any idea of imitation or comparison Al-Mushabaha yani comparison of the creature with the creatures yani that they are similar in the use of such an expression and he used such expression as Fataya, my young man, or, fat, or Fatati, my young lady, and such expressions. And then he ends by saying, وَذَلِكَ أَكْمَلْ فِي Albari. Three things. The first, the use of these expressions instead of those, Abd and Rab, it is أَكْمَلْ فِي Albari. It is more perfect in negating from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala any imperfection the tanzih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of there being any comparison between him and the creatures comparison or that there is any imperfection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as they are in the creatures who we might use those expressions which they shared with them between him and them so it is a negation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being compared to any of his creatures and likewise وَأَكْثَرُ تَأَدُّبًا مَعْهُ and it is more polite it is more mannerly it is more correct in terms of adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we should not use the expressions for creatures that are used for him alone that are exclusive for him alone وَجَبُرًا لِخَاطِرَ الَّذِينَ إِبْتَلَاهُمُ اللَّهِ and it is also better in consideration of the feelings of those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested with being in slavery yani the one it is a test the ibtila from Allah that, pers- that a person is in slavery it is a test and it is more considerate of their feeling that such an expression should not be used, abd. But it is better to say gulam or fataya or something like this. These expressions are easier for the person to accept and it is not a hardship on them. The benefits of fawaid that the Shaykh mentions from this hadith are four. The first of them is wujub said al-zara'i. And it is a qaida, a general principle, wujub said al-zara'i yani the first point that we understand from this hadith is the obligation of closing the ways closing any opening meaning the ways that lead to violation of tawheed said al-zara'i yani the use of such, such expressions might lead to a violation of tawheed therefore we close the way by using expressions that don't open the way so this said al-zara'i or said al-zari'ah it means closing the way or closing, closing the ways that lead to that which is prohibited or harmful or otherwise and this is any closing the way it is here in reference to expressions however it is a general principle closing the ways to whatever leads to harm and what is meant here is the achievement of a tawheed and removing oneself far away from shirk by using these expressions instead of the other expressions number two that ar-rab it is a ism min asma'illah ar-rab it is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is not permissible to use it in the absolute sense for other than Allah in the absolute sense unless it is 
يعني joined in إضافة يعني in connection with that which is غير عاقل يعني uh, inanimate or inhuman things such as رب الدار يعني meaning the owner of a house رب الدابة the owner of this animal and even some of the scholars said even to use it in reference to the animals it is better to avoid it because even the animals are worshippers of Allah they worship Allah every creature has its form of worship and praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore everything is in ubudiyah to Allah alone however most of the scholars said that it's permissible to use it in this way uh, in any case the, the expression Rabb in the absolute sense is used for Allah alone and if it is joined to the possession of some uh, inanimate thing material things that one possess then inshallah there is no harm in doing so while it's better to avoid it in every case number three Tahreem Tasmiyat al-Mamluk Abdan that it is prohibited to name a slave Abd female slave or a female slave Amma and it is prohibited to use these expressions but we should say young man or young lady and so on number four the permissibility of naming the Malik, the master, the one who owns something, the permissibility of naming or, or calling that person Sayyid or Mawla. It is permissible to say Sayyid, but not Rabb or Mawla. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter under the discussion is that this hadith prohibits the naming of the one who is in the possession of another person as a Abd or as a Emma, but in fact all of the human beings are the slaves of Allah alone. The relationship of this hadith to the general topic of a tawheed is that it indicates the prohibition of naming the mamluk, the one who is possessed by someone as a abd, or the female that is possessed by someone as a emma, because this is, it suggests or it gives the feeling of ishraq ma'allah fil ubudiyah, that there is some sharing with Allah in al ubudiyah. If you say that someone is the abd or the emma of someone, it is as though this ubudiyah, which is the right of Allah alone, is being shared by somebody else who owns this abd. While in fact everyone is the abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The Shaykh says there are some notes here, mulahaza. And he makes two points here. The first of them is that those who allow the absolute use of the expression rabb for the creatures, those who allowed it, who said that it's permissible to do so, to say somebody is rabb, they use as a proof the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Yusuf, أذكرني عند ربك يعني mention me or remember me or, rem- or mention me with your Lord ربك and he was in the ربك he was referring to the person who was the master of that one his master not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi in the hadith related to the last days he said the signs of the last days أن تلد الأمة ربتها that a slave girl will give birth to her ربه her Lord in the feminine form. He said, we answer these arguments, the saying of Yusuf by saying, the mentioning here of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran from Yusuf, Udhkurni inda Rabbik, it was permissible, jaiz in the sharh, in the legislation of the prophets before us, and then the sharia of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, our sharia came contrary to that, yani prohibiting it. As for the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the slave girl will give birth to her master, her rabbah, then this expression, Rabbah, it is Mu'annath, feminine, and therefore there is no suggestion of musharaka or sharing with Ar-Rabb, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is only used in the masculine form. He also said, and a second note is that in this hadith, 
The Prophet ﷺ has allowed naming the Malik, the one who owns someone, he allowed naming them Mawla. And in another hadith, he has prohibited the use of such an expression, Mawla. And Al-Jam, or the reconciliation between the two of them, is to say that it is permissible to name the Malik, the one who owns someone, Mawla. However, avoiding the use of this expression is afdal, is better. Yani, in one place the Prophet ﷺ has prohibited, and another place he has allowed it. Therefore, we say there is no contradiction between the speech of the Prophet ﷺ. However, in allowing it, it means that, in that case, it means that indeed it is permissible. However, in another place he prohibited, which suggests that it is better to leave it. Yani, it is not haram, but it is makroh. Uh, the issues at the end of this chapter that Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has mentioned with a quick explanation from Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen and a very very brief explanation he said the first issue is an-nahi an-qawl abdi wa amati yani the prohibition of saying of referring to someone as my slave male slave or female slave and this is taken from the statement of the Prophet sallallahu that no one of you should say abdi wa amati so it is clear that it is prohibited to use the expression. Number two, that لا يقول العبد يعني the slave himself should not say Rabbi should not refer to his master as his Rabb Rabbi ولا يقال له أعتم nor should anybody say to the slave يعني he himself should not refer to his master as his Rabb nor should anybody refer to his master يعني referring to his master talking to him saying your Rabb يعني feed your Rabb and this is understood يعني also from the wording of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that nobody should say such. The third issue is ta'aleem al-awwal. Yani the first matter that is being taught in this hadith is the saying fataya or fatati or gulam. Yani that the first lesson or the first instruction that the Prophet ﷺ he gave is to the Sayyid, to the master, that he should say when he refers to his slave, slave fataya, my young man, or fatati, my young lady, or gulami, my boy. Yani, the first instruction is to the master, and the fourth issue is ta'aleem al-thani, yani the instruction to the abd, to the slave. He said that qawl sayyidi wa mawlaya, yani that when he refers to his master, he should not refer, refer to him as rabbi, but he should refer to him as sayyidi, my master or leader, or the one who is in control of me, or mawlaya, that one who is in charge of my affairs, my guardian or patron or whatever. The fifth, fifth issue, the last of them, tanbih, bin murad yani drawing attention to what is intended by this whole discussion in this matter of this chapter, وَهُوَ تَحْقِيقَ التَّوْهِيدِ حَتَّى فِي الْأَلْفَاضِ يعني that the intended, the purpose of this chapter, it is the achievement of a tawheed, تحقيق التوهيد يعني that we have to fulfill the obligations of tawheed حَتَّى فِي الْأَلْفَاضِ even in our speech, even in the expressions that we use, we should consider yani, that which might be a negation or a violation of the perfection of a tawheed. And then the Shaykh ended by saying in this chapter, there are many other issues. However, these are the issues that are intended by the chapter. The questions at the end of this uh, chapter, it is number one, discuss the relationship of this chapter to the subject of a tawheed. And the relationship of this chapter to the subject of Tawheed is that we have been prohibited from using expressions which suggest that there is some sharing between the Creator and the creatures when we refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Rabb and then we refer to a creature as Rabb. 
So this is a violation of the perfection of a Tawheed. And likewise, when we refer to that one who is possessed by someone as Abd, when in fact everyone in the creation and everything in the creation is the Abd of Allah alone. So the relationship of this chapter to the subject of the Tawheed is that the use of such expressions are a negation of the perfection of a Tawheed. Mention the Qaeda, the basic principle which this prohibition is founded upon. The basic principle, the Qaeda, which this prohibition is founded upon is the rule of Sad al-Zari'ah or Sad al-Zara'iyah the plural of Zari'ah yani closing the way or closing the ways that lead to that which is prohibited or that which is harmful or that which is detestable in Islam Sad al-Zari'ah closing the way yani by avoiding those expressions which might possibly lead to a violation of Tawheed number three is the prohibition in this hadith addressed to the Sayyid Master only, explain. And in the prohibition in this hadith, it is addressed to the Master that he shouldn't refer to his slave as Abd or Amma. And it is also, it is not only addressed to the slave, but it is also addressed to the, not only addressed to the Master, the Sayyid, but it is also addressed to the one who is in slavery. That also he should not use such expressions when referring to his Master, because these expressions he should only use in reference to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He should not say Rabbi, but he should say Sayyidi or Mawlaya. Is the expression Ar-Rabb, Lord, one of the asma or names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? According to most of the scholars, Ar-Rabb is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if it is used in the absolute sense, Ar-Rabb, without being attached to anything, not saying the Rabb, Rabb al-Dabah, the owner of this animal, or Rabb al-Bayt, or the Lord or the owner of this house or so and so if it is not used in that way of connecting it to something in the creation, in the creation if it is not used in that way in the absolute sense our Rabb is exclusively a name for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and shouldn't be used for anyone else however some of the scholars said it may be used if it is used in reference to and intending the one who owns something of the created things that are in this world the one who owns the house or the one who owns the animal and so on Mention some of the ahkam or legal rulings derived from this hadith. Yani, some of the legal rulings derived, the main legal rulings that derive derived from this hadith is the prohibition of using these expressions abd, abdi or referring to one's master as rabbi uh, and the permissibility of using other expressions which do not contain the suggestion which would be a violation of the perfection of a tawheed such as the one referring to his master as sayyidi or one referring to his slave as uh, uh, amati or gulami or fatati and so on uh, this is the end of what we wanted to cover subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa tubi ilayk if there are any questions from the sisters we'll take them tafadda ya ahmed Any slavery in Islam, what is the, any, uh, how do we understand slavery in Islam and how do we defend it? Well, uh, really, any, this is a complete topic and defending it, any, rather than defending it, it is better to just leave it as explaining it. Because uh, any, we don't have to defend slavery in Islam. Islam didn't invent slavery. And Muslims 
were not the first ones who brought slavery. But Islam came, the revelation came to the Prophet ﷺ in the Arabian Peninsula and slavery was already existent there and in other places all over the earth. So Islam has nothing to do with slavery and that Islam has implemented slavery. In fact, on the contrary, Islam has suggested the abolishment of slavery and the removal of slavery uh, in so many ways that the Prophet ﷺ suggested that those who have slaves that they should free them for so many reasons or how they should treat them the way that they are suggested to be treated to be clothed, to be fed, to be housed like a person feeds and clothes their self, self which even if the person remained in that legal condition of slavery their condition yani their, real, their real condition would not be a condition of slavery because the way that they are expected and required to be treated in Islam is not the way slaves were treated in the Arabian Peninsula or in other places in the earth at that time or after that time. So that in fact Islam, number one, suggests yani, humane treatment for those who are in slavery. And number two, it suggests the removal of slavery. And it makes very difficult, number three, it makes difficult the continuation of slavery. In that there are not many ways that anybody can be taken into slavery as it was before. But in fact the way that somebody might become a slave, yani, that Islam might allow someone to become a slave is if the enemies of Islam have fought against the Muslims and in the spread of Islam or in the defense of Islam some people are taken as captives of war then they may be held in slavery otherwise slavery other, in other ways of taking people who are free by war or by force yani just going and attacking people and taking them by force um, or buying people into slavery and such it is not allowed so um, what and in brief in the explanation of slavery in Islam it is something that existed and Islam made so many measures to remove it or to reduce any the hardship of the people in slavery or that condition which is any considered as an inhuman condition any in the other societies uh, in that time around the world and after that time uh, in Europe and in other places and so any slavery it is something it is permissible it might be it might happen that somebody might fall into slavery due to war against the Muslims or Muslims fighting against the enemies to defend Islam or to establish Islam in the earth and those who are taken captive might be held in slavery otherwise Islam has suggested the removal or the abolishment of slavery through many means uh, now Drinking Zamzam, standing, facing the Qibla, uh-huh. It, it is more likely that one's dua will be accepted. Uh-huh. <laughs> can you do it any time? Naam. You can make supplication at any time. And supplication for the one who drinks Zamzam has no conditions. Doesn't, doesn't, you don't have to be in a certain place drinking it, nor in a certain time. But wherever you may be, you may drink Zamzam. As the Prophet ﷺ said, that Zamzam is for whatever it is drank for. Yani whatever you supplicate for, it will be for that reason. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah. Is crying during salat or prayer and do a high good sign of supplicating of supplicating a need to Allah. Thank you. Inshallah. Yani is crying during the salat or prayer and dua a good sign of supplicating. Yani if a person sincerely cries when they are making salat because of their feeling of nearness to Allah. Uh, and closeness to Allah 
and the words of Allah of the Quran that they are reciting or that they are listening to or because the feeling that comes over them when they are supplicating and they feel that they are near to Allah and that Allah is listening and hearing their supplication and that Allah will answer them if it causes a person to cry it is good Naam. of the things yani, that are related to supplication being accepted of the most important of them is that a person's yani, heart and mind they should be attentive to that supplication and they should feel and they should believe uh, and have confidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers the supplication of those who call on him as he promised he said call on me I will answer you and the Prophet sallallahu said that whoever calls on Allah he will definitely answer them in one of three ways so if a person has confidence that when they call on him that he will answer and that confidence that sincerity of the acceptance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of their supplication caused them to cry indeed it is a good sign inshallah of sincerity assalamu alaikum can we note that in the du'as of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he didn't use an expression that meant can we note that he didn't use an expression that meant if you will or if you please but rather use the amr order form ihdina aghfir lana arhamna etc therefore should we even use should we even use the expression please when supplicating since it is an abbreviated form of if you please indeed in supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we should not use the expression insha'Allah as the Prophet sallallahu said or any expression that has the same meaning as that that we are uh, that we are asking Allah to answer our supplication if he wills However, using expressions of politeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no harm in doing so. And Allahu A'lam, if the expression please means if you please, uh, Allahu A'lam. It depends on the one who has used the expression, what they mean by it. But uh, if it is meant, answer my supplication if you please, yani if you are pleased, if you will then that is one thing but if it is meant as an expression of politeness in front of Allah an expression, an expression of respect in any case uh, it depends on the intention of the person uh, if they mean if you please if they mean by that the meaning of the expression in Arabic insha'Allah if, if that is what one means when they say if you please you mean if you will then it has, if that has the same meaning then it is prohibited in any case uh, when we supplicate Ani we should, as the Prophet ﷺ said, we should act yani, with resolve and determination and the feeling of certainty and confidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept from us. We should be insistent and we should be persistent and we should also show adab with Allah in the words that we use when we address Him asking for our needs. Now, in any case, in any case, the use of this expression in Pakistan and India and the Indian subcontinent and other places, Maulana, indeed, it is an expression that's used in the Quran for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, the Prophet ﷺ has allowed its use because the meaning of Mawlana 
it is from wilaya and wilaya it means the one who has authority or the responsibility for the affairs so if somebody has the responsibility for the affairs of someone there's no harm in saying as the prophet sallallahu said in, in referring to them as sayyidi or mawlaya it is permissible however some of the scholars said it is better even though it is allowed it is better to avoid it because if there is any possibility of confusion in the meanings or sharing in the meanings between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his creatures then it is better to avoid it Allah knows best subhanakallahumma bihamdika bishadu an la ilaha 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 